All right, welcome to another episode of Maritime Health and Performance Chat. If you want the perfect model of how to transition into graduate school with grace, how to work hard and independently motivate yourself, well, look no further than my guest right here. One of my lab mates, someone who I started my master's with at Dalhousie, and she passed on, <laughs> moved, moved ahead a little bit before, before I did, but... Uh, we had same supervisor, a lot of similar experiences. So I can't wait to hear what her experiences versus mine within kind of similar background, same lab. But without further ado, my guest today is Savrina Goldenberg. So Sav, the mic's yours. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. I like how you said I passed on. It makes me sound like I died. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I know, that, that makes it sound way too somber. It should be like a positive thing. I know. I have better to, to civilian life. I yeah, guess. greener pastures, not, not the yeah, farm outside yeah. the city. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here to talk about grad school and stuff. Like I said, a little bit of something for everyone on the podcast. The, the guests mm-hmm. come from a very wide array of backgrounds. So yeah, I think as per usual, there'll be plenty to take out of this one. But yeah, we, so I'd just love to hear a little bit of a history of how you got to sort of where you are today and what led you and influenced you through your path in academia in the field of kinesiology. Sure. So I grew up as a dancer, classically trained in ballet. And when I got to high school, I went to performing arts high school. So by the time that I was graduating, I was training like 20 hours plus a week. And when I decided what I wanted to do like after school, I knew that medicine and human movement and like helping dancers was like where I wanted to go. So kinesiology seemed like the best route to get to what I thought originally was going to be medicine, but actually what I wanted to do was biomechanics. I just didn't know that that term or that field existed at the time. So I applied to Dow, got in, got into kinesiology. First two years, didn't really know what I liked, what I didn't like. Find that for most people, especially in kin at Dow, year one is very overview. And then year two, you get like smacked in the face with like every course and it's brutal and it's tough and you're like I don't know if I like any of this and I found biomechanics actually in my third year which is the advanced course that Matt you took later on and I fell in love with biomechanics the entire idea of like you know understanding human movement and that can lead to injury prevention and injury rehabilitation and just like that was like the field that I always loved I just never knew what it was and so being introduced to that and that led me into doing my honors and then from there I got introduced to do my master's at Dow. That's awesome. I guess sort of just the first little bit there where your sort of background was a dancer and that sort of led you into the sport medicine interest side of things. Something I'm not familiar with at all unless I've had a couple beers and then go out to the bar or something. But <laughs> yeah. what, sort of, what sort of mechanics and whatnot would, would have been involved, involved in the dancing? Maybe what sort of like injuries and biomechanics go into it? What was illuminated for you as you went through that kin degree, as you began to learn more about the actual uh, mechanism and and the hows and the whys of all these movements and and improvements and whatnot? That's a great question. So what I can tell you about dance just as a background is that from my experience, this might not be everybody, but when we were dancing, there was no aspect of like cross-training involved in the sense of like, they were like, oh yeah, you know, do sit-ups, do this, do that. But I don't know, I I have a feeling that with more sports, even recreational at any level, there is some aspect of like drop on land or like, you know, not sports specific training that goes along with it. Dance doesn't have that. Kinesiology, what I learned is that can be only beneficial is to help dancers train their bodies to be stronger because dance is so classical, especially ballet. It's all about tradition. So it's not about what is mechanically achievable for the person. It's what's the most aesthetically pleasing. 
So you're forcing dancers' bodies to go into positions and to do things that maybe their body isn't actually able to do, but they're forcing it to happen that way. A great example for me is I have internally rotated hips. So like my femurs sit in my hip joint more internally rotated than external, which everybody has like a range from what it is. And dancers stand in external rotation. That's like the turnout, right? So they externally rotate from the hips and then all the way down to the feet. And so constantly forcing that turnout causes such problems in the, you know, the muscles of the hip, front of the hip joint. And I had such issues with that growing up. And I would go to physiotherapists and they'd be like, I don't understand how you have such bad hip muscles. Like, why are they so weak? Why are they so tight? And that kind of led me to be like, well, nobody really understands what dancers are going through. So that's kind of what led me to, I'm going to be the person that figures out what dancers are going through. I'm going to be the one that's going to be able to help them. That's really exciting to be in sort of a fledgling field, a sort of emerging area of biomechanics. And I love how you said there's no cross training, but as you went through kin, you realized it would benefit because you think about the whole, it's it's really just the, the foundation of periodization, right? Like eventually as you train mm-hmm. your body sort of reaches limits within those adaptations it can make whether it be through mobility or strength or whatever, and where you had to, like you said, be in not necessarily the most mechanically advantaged, but aesthetically pleasing positions, maybe you could have manipulated your own body or your coach or program, whatever, could with a biomechanics or just kind of a functional anatomy type understanding, Mm -hmm. could take someone and say, okay, so you have internally rotated hips. We've got to strengthen those external rotators. We've got to mobilize and lengthen the internal rotators and whatnot, right? And with sort of a a kinesiology background that could definitely add to that breakaway from, and not saying tradition should be broken away from, but say, you know, how, how dance is a very traditional model, work on the techniques and stuff. Where adding that sort of cross training, maybe a strength and conditioning aspects, or even a practice like a yoga or something like that, that could help mobilize and do some active recovery for dancers could provide some huge benefits. And with your kin background now, I guess that would make you an awesome a consult for any of these programs to uh, share mm-hmm. that knowledge and someone who has experience in both kind of the exercise science and the actual dancing background. Yeah, for sure. That's hopefully the end goal, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you got to climb your way up the ladder first. You don't just get to start your your passion project at ground zero. Mm -hmm. So I guess kind of moving on, well, you you have your master's now. Maybe talk a bit of your research background and sort of what what was your master's? What did you gain from that? And and what does that sort of give you now with your your current background in the field and expertise in biomechanics? Yeah, so I went into my master's with a goal. And the goal was that it didn't really matter what the topic of my research was. It was all about how can I benefit and learn the most skills that can be transferable to anything. So this is why my research topic is going to be completely, it's not dance related at all. Um, So I looked at understanding the biomechanical changes to blood pressure during exercise. So it takes the physiological aspect of changes in blood pressure with exercise, you know, your heart rate increases, you know, your expenditure changes, your efficiency level changes based on your exercise output. And that changes your arterial blood pressure, obviously, you know, bigger demand for oxygen in the body. But there's also a biomechanical aspect that tends to be overlooked because people think that either it doesn't exist or it's very minimal in its effect. And so we looked at like literally the fact of if you move a limb, the movement of that limb creates an inertial force within the arteries that can actually increase your blood pressure. And we looked at actually quantifying that value and then seeing if it exists and then quantifying how much it affects. And it was a very complicated and very long project that had quite a lot of setbacks and things we had to look at. Nobody really studies this type of research. The equipment that is used is not designed to be used in that way. So 
the biggest skill set I think I learned from four years of working on this project from undergrad to master's level was, you know, problem solving skills and, you know, how to work with difficult equipment and how to kind of be able to take a problem and solve it step by step to achieve some sort of goal. I think we could be here all day talking about the steps you took as far as problem solving goes and putting multiple pieces of equipment that might not necessarily be meant to work together together and actually make them be able to talk to each other so you could acquire data for your project. I mean, your background is really interesting because with the changes in blood pressure and the mechanics there as far as through exercise or whatnot, improving your cardiovascular capacity, you actually had to do a lot of background in the exercise physiology world as well as the biomechanics. So not only did you have to be able to quantify and understand what was happening through movement, you actually had to be able to understand and in some cases quantify with your blood pressure equations, what were the driving mechanisms behind this movement, right? Like what were the, after exercise, what were the responses through uh, all of our different physiological systems, what hormones release, what neurochemical reactions were taking place to cause that muscle contraction to allow that movement to take place. And you were looking at different intensities too, or different cadences for your, your arm cycling. So again, there's different mm-hmm. intensities of exercise. So I mean, having to understand not only what's happening through where you did your movement analysis, your motion capture, but you also had to do, you know, you had your ECG, you had blood pressure at the finger there. Like that was pretty cool to bring those two separate disciplines under the kinesiology banner together to benefit you. And like you said, within those four years of research between your honors and masters, pull as much that can benefit you and going beyond in the field afterwards. Yeah, it was definitely funny when I told people my research projects, they're always like, but you say you're a biomechanist. I'm like, I am. And they're like, no, your project's exercise physiology. I'm like, no, it's not actually. It's both. But I special, I was focusing more on the biomechanical side, but it's true. I did have to have quite a lot of exercise physiology background, which was not my strongest subject that I studied in school. I actually dreaded having to relearn exercise physiology topics. I find that area the hardest to recollect in my brain. <laughs> There's a lot of hormones. Yeah, exactly. All that you have to remember all the hormones, all the signaling pathways for different Mm -hmm. sorts of functions, whether it be for recovery, for adaptation, for just general movement, right, for replenishments. And then as well, there's a bit of neuro side to it. You have to understand all the signaling there and you have to understand the pathways of how nutrients and and energy and whatnot are delivered and metabolized. So I mean, there's a lot to remember. And then you got to go to the biomechanics side and get into sort of the math of it, work with all the forces, the EMG you're taking all the calculations get joint angles and joint lengths and all that. Like it's, it's a pretty cool combination. I mean, definitely applicable to the sporting world and, and sports science and health science, because if you understand multiple disciplines, I guess, in how we move, you can work with how to move better. Like you said, you, someone like you who had internally rotated hips, maybe through your understanding of how our bodies move and to how we can adapt through physiology, you can sort of improve someone in that condition. So it's definitely a really cool and applicable background to have that you took through your research career so far, I should mm-hmm. say. <laughs> I sort of alluded to earlier, you know, you were a fantastic model for how to go through your master's and you sort of touched on a bit about it right there, how you were saying it, the project itself didn't matter. And that's the case a lot in a master's where you are kind of low on that, on the ladder. It's usually you're doing someone else's project that you might have a bit of input because, you know, you pick your master's supervisor 
based area of interest for research, but I mean, a lot of the times it's a project that's given to you. So, I mean, you took the project from even your honors and like you said, you want to learn and take as much in it and improve and grow within the field as much as you could. And you definitely did that through your project and you did that through, you know, TAing. I, I saw you, I think when students came in, even if it wasn't a course you were involved with, could always ask you about a piece of equipment, say, how do I use this? How do I do this? And you can always help them out. So you obviously kind of went in with your goal and met that. But one thing you got to do too, which I, I found really interesting was you actually got to go abroad for several months and do research. So would you like to talk a bit about that? Talk about the progress and the process of going through that and what it was like living overseas for a couple months and doing research? Yeah, for sure. So obviously right now people can't do it, but I would recommend to anybody who's listening that if you do have the opportunity to travel during your master's to do it, absolutely. Um, so I was awarded the MyTax Global Link Research Award which is through MyTax, which I believe is a Canadian or a North American company that does a lot of research with postdocs to fund between industry and academia. But they do this grant where they allow grad students to travel to a different university to study for four to six months, and they give you a grant to pay for it or to cover at least some of the costs. Obviously, throughout my entire academic career, everybody knew that I wanted to study dance at some point, but I chose not to do that as my main focus of research just because living in Nova Scotia, there are dancers out there, but I really was, if I was like going to work with dancers, I really want to work with like pre-professional or professional. And that's just not the easiest opportunity in Nova Scotia. I would have to like go to Montreal or go to Toronto or go down to the state. And also I wanted to learn about the field. I had an interest in it, but I didn't really know what was out there research-wise. Like I read papers and things like that, but I didn't really know where people were studying or what it was like or the funding aspect of it. So our, my supervisor said to me one day, hey, this award's open. Why don't you reach out to some dance researchers that you're interested, that you are following and see if they want to sponsor you to come over to work with them for four months. And so how it works is you reach out to a supervisor or a researcher that you admire. I just emailed a whole bunch of them, just like a random introductory email, said, hey, I have an opportunity to get some money to come over. You don't have to pay me. I get money outside of from this company called MyTax and I get to come over and work for four months on a project that you have running. And it could be like, I do my own project. You have some work I want to do. I just want to learn about dance science. Like, what are you doing out there? And uh, I sent out a whole bunch of emails and the one guy that responded to me, he's on like every paper that I've ever read. He responded a one line email, which is very typical of researchers. He spelt my name wrong accidentally and he said, yeah, sure, come on over. When are you arriving? And I was like, okay. Uh, happened very quickly. I submitted an application. Um, and then uh, with my tax, if you submit an application, it, if it's completed, it usually gets funded. And uh, in the summer of 2019, I went to Birmingham for four months to work with at the University of Wolverhampton. And uh, it was a great experience. I got to learn a lot about dance science and about kind of what the research is like, the equipment that they have there. And the researcher that I got to work with, he has a lot of connections in the dance science field. So I got to learn about like conferences that they go to and the field of research that people are going into. And also what's really great about that experience was it showed me when I was removed from the lab that I worked in, how much I had actually learned. Because I find sometimes when I was in our lab, our lab is filled with like some really amazing, smart, intelligent people and sometimes I would sit in my chair and be like I don't know if I've learned anything I have no idea like what my skill set is because you're so like in your own bubble trying to grind to get out the work but when you're removed from that you go to a different institution that has 
a different way of working. Um, I remember arriving and they were like, oh, how do you analyze data? How do you do this? How do you do that? And I was like, oh, I know how to do all of these things. I'm like, you do? And I was like, yeah, I do. I, I know how to do MATLAB. I know how to set up my own equipment. I know how to calibrate instruments, all that stuff. So it was really, besides learning about a new field that I'm really interested in, it also showed me, oh, wow. Like I've actually learned a whole bunch of stuff in my master's, which was pretty exciting. Which I mean, great uh, way to sort of affirm that goal you went in with, just to try to learn as much and take away as much as you could. And what an excellent way to apply that. A fantastic point that we're in our own bubble so much, right? Like if you're just doing sort of the same couple things every day, you're seeing other people do the same things that might seem advanced or beyond your scope. And usually when you're in your lab, there's not a whole lot of time to cross over and peek at other people's research and be a part of their setup. Not all the time, at least when you're in sort of the middle of your own work, it's tough to see really how much you have learned until you're sort of thrown out there on your own. You've got to learn to spread your wings. And it sounds like it's a fantastic, really, uh, rewarding experience in in several ways getting to work in your field and also getting to demonstrate to yourself how much you've learned from your masters. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I learned was just like how much of a knowledge I actually gained. That's fantastic. I mean, any chance, and I know there's sometimes red tape around research work and stuff that you're able to talk about any of the research you performed in, in any more detail? Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I should have mentioned it earlier. So because it was only four months, we did kind of like a smaller project that even now I'm still working on, we've actually resubmitted another uh, abstract for a conference, but um, it's looking at the effect of fatigue in dancers. So as I just kind of like a forewarning, dance science is about 20 years behind other sports science fields. So what we were looking at was seeing what does the effect of fatigue on dancers have on their movement pattern. And we decided that how are we going to measure, like what are we going to measure tangibly? We decided to look at movement variability, which was measured by standard deviation. So what we had dancers do was perform a really simple spin into a pose and hold that pose for as long as they can. And we asked them to do it like baseline a couple of times. And then we got them to do it four times after each a different bout of an aerobic fitness test, which was designed specifically to achieve VO2 max dancers. So think of like the YMCA test or a VO2 max test, but they designed it to be dance specific. And you get dancers to do this exercise, which is four minutes long. It should fatigue them. Their RPE gets up there pretty high. And then we get them to do this skill again. And they're wearing some motion capture suits. Originally, we looked at their center of mass trajectory and saw, did, in order to achieve this skill, are they making any deviations in their movement pattern to get from point A to point B? And the idea is that if there's more variability after for the fatiguing trials than before, then we're saying, okay, the effect of variability is that they're fatigued. They're still able to achieve the skill, but how they get there is different. That's not really the case, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. <laughs> And then again, kind of even with your master's research at Dow there, it was sort of in a niche field. This sounds like it's in a niche field in a completely different area than what you were mm -hmm. used to. So that, that's really interesting to be, again, on the sort of emerging areas of research, uh, especially where you said dance research was a bit behind other sports science. And that sounds really interesting that you mentioned within the research study that you guys had a dancer-specific VO2 max test because, I mean, you talk about testing specificity plays a fantastic role because if, if you want to find the most accurate VO2 max of say a competitive cyclist, you don't want them to perform the treadmill test because they probably don't run very often during the year, maybe a bit of cross training, but that's it versus have them do their VO2 on a cycle ergometer, right? It makes sense to have them do something in a specific way to what they train to get them the, the best results. So that's really interesting that you guys were able to develop a dance specific 
test within that research project to get some of the results and the data you needed. Yeah, well, I can't take credit for developing it. The research that I worked for actually has developed it previously. So that was like a predetermined thing. But yeah, it was really great. I didn't really know much about it before I got there, but it was really awesome to see that although dance science, you know, we have a lot of work to do to kind of bring it up to the standard that other sports science sat right now. There are some really cool things coming out, like dance specific, like dance specific tests. It's called the DAFT, Dance Aerobic Fitness Test. I thought that was awesome. I was like, oh, this is where we need to go. We need to be really looking at measure. How can we measure dance performance? So that then we have the information to provide feedback to dancers on how to make sure they're not injured or to train them better. So I think it's a great step in that direction. That's fantastic. I mean, like I said, it must have been a lot of fun and very, very motivating to get to work in a field that you've been so passionate about for so long and sort of take a step further, it sounds like, to your end goal of working within sort of the sports science research in the dance world. I guess Mm -hmm. moving on, one question I'd love to ask you is just if you had any sort of tip or advice for anyone potentially looking into the world of academia, maybe within their master's right now or getting into it, thinking about doing an honors, thinking about going on, because you are still involved in research, like you said, and applying for conferences and whatnot with your dance research. And so any advice on the pathways or any takeaways from your master's? Ooh, that's a really good question. I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. Um, I I have like maybe like two pieces of advice. The first one would be make sure that you like understand what you want out of your master's degree because it's a grind. It can be very, very deflating. I found that, you know, there were months or periods of time during my master's where my work isn't getting anywhere. I'm not very motivated. I'm far behind, especially when you're done your coursework and it's now just like your own time to do your own research. And I have, you know, you have to be very self-motivated to get the work done. And so you have to always kind of remind yourself what the goal is of your master's and why you got into it in the first place. So if you can understand that and be like, there's going to be weeks days, months, whatever, where it's brutal, but you know, you know what you want at the end of it. Um, Because I think that sometimes people get into, could get into their masters and be like, oh, I don't like this. And then just be miserable. And that would be the worst because if you're not motivated or excited to do what you want to do or excited to get to an end goal, it can be the longest two years ever. Um, And then the other piece of advice I'd have is to make sure you have like really good communication with your supervisor and with your lab mates. I think personally, our lab and the people that we got to do our masters with made the experience for me. Like imagine if it was just like me by myself or we didn't have that good camaraderie. So making sure that like before you do your master's, you meet your supervisor, you talk to them, you meet people, fellow researchers and make sure that like you have, this is the environment that I want to work in because um, that can make or break your experience. That's an excellent point. And I mean, as far as getting to know the lab and the the supervisor without, you know, it's sort of hard, especially right now, if people are applying to masters to travel around and meet people. But one easy thing is you can always look on the academic journal databases and whatnot, just look up the supervisor, look up the lab uh, online. Usually there will have some page through uh, social media or online. They'll have things that come up through Google Scholar or any academic databases, depending on uh, what sort of research is being published out there. And as well, look on the probably the university page. They would have on their graduate 
pages, they generally have overviews of what the different people are doing for their research and what their backgrounds are. So, I mean, there's a lot you can do to, like you said, get to know where you're going to be working uh, even before you get in there, or before you even make the choice if you want to do a master's. But like 100% to echo the having the people in the lab was just such a huge help people that have gone through it that are maybe further along in their careers, either in the same degree or further degrees, like doing their, their PhDs or their, their postdocs. But yeah, it helps so much to have that, that community around you. It's sort of a, you're, you're, you're suffering with people at least, and that kind of brings the morale mm-hmm. up a lot better as opposed to, like you said, sort of just having to grind through this on your own, all this independent learning, independently motivated and making sure you don't get stuck in something, like you said, you don't enjoy. So, I mean, just, just fantastic. Mm-hmm points and I definitely echo all those because I mean again you're out on the other side now so it's nice to have that ability to look back and reflect and see what really would make the difference and what really made the whole experience for you. I guess you didn't have a lot of time in school during the pandemic. And I mean, you're trying to get things done now, like for conferences, which a lot of them have sort of transitioned to an online format, similar to sort of how we're doing this interview right now, just on a much larger scale. But uh, Mm -hmm. what was it like when you were having to finish up your master's, when you were having to do research uh, during the pandemic there, during all the shutdowns and just trying to get done, figuring out where you're going to live, how you're going to finish this up, doing your defense, actually preparing for that. Any bit of of tidbits from there you want to share? Ooh, uh, yeah, it was, um, I I don't know if I was lucky or not, to to be honest. I can't, I don't really know if I'd rather have longer in lockdown before my defense. Like we went into a lockdown or a shelter in place, I guess is what they called it, like two weeks before my defense happened. And so mine and a couple of our friends' defenses were all back to back. And they were like, we don't know how we're going to do virtual defenses. But so there was a little bit of frantic, like, is it Zoom, no Zoom, Zoom, no Zoom. Like, and uh, so we ended up doing a conference call. It was interesting. I'm somebody personally, I liked working in the lab because if everybody was around, I could just like walk into people's offices and ask them questions. When it's now virtual, it's a lot harder to do that because you don't, you can't, you don't have easy access to people. Um, So finishing my master's, especially like working on my defense or my presentation and then my edits afterwards, it was a lot of like back and forth emailing, which by the end of it, I got very used to it. But at first I was just like, can't you just give me a simple answer? I, it's just a yes or no. And that was kind of difficult. Um, also, obviously the defense process, you know, it's a big deal for people to defend in, in our lab, especially it's always kind of like, everybody's going to go to the defense. Even if you don't stay for the question period, you're going there to show your support for your friends to see them, to be like, congratulations, you did it. And then usually we have a big celebration afterwards. Um, and this year was supposed to be pretty big. A lot of people were going to be going at, going and defending and that didn't happen. So I almost feel like I was, you know, like a lot of people, I was robbed of that experience. Um, and then obviously because of the pandemic, I was moving back to Toronto uh, to be back with my family. Um, and that had to be moved up about a month. I left Halifax with like three days notice because we had no idea what was going to happen with the provinces and what was going to happen within Canada with COVID-19. So, you know, I can't say to what your experiences are, Matt, finishing your degree in a pandemic, but ending it very rapidly, it was very strange. <laughs> yeah, you don't really get to go out with a bang, right? You get to go out with sort of a fizz, a, an extremely rushed, stressed sort of process of rushing everything to get it in, get it in under the radar so you can graduate. Like you said, at the time, we had no idea what the shutdowns would be like. And looking at it now, I mean, I think you definitely made the right choice wrapping up as quick as possible. And I mean, you even still had to quarantine when you got home and mm-hmm. that, that 14 days, which must have been 
at least you probably had some quick amendments to make after your thesis defense. So it was probably almost a blessing in disguise to be forcibly stuck inside. But at the same time, all the unknown would have been very stressful. And, and like you said, several people were trying to get their defenses in. And it was sort of a figure out as it goes how these defenses will be done over you know, online. And then like you said, once you get it done, there's not much of a, the whole thing part of the masters you really enjoyed was that camaraderie and, and you didn't really get the share on that the same way. So that's always too bad, but I mean, probably pretty amazing that you got the experiences you got in months or just within a year's time before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely am lucky in the sense that what would have happened if my project was delayed more or things like that. So, you know, I, I take the good from it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's all you can do. Um, we've been going for a bit here, so I mean, I don't want to take too much time from you, like you said, mm-hmm. applying for conferences and whatnot. So, I mean, is there anything before we finish up, any projects or programs or anything you like to highlight, labs or publications or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have, you know, things are pretty slow here. Uh, I'm just kind of plugging away at some work, so I don't really have anything new and exciting coming down the pipeline for me, so. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in the next few years, if you find yourself uh, reading research and sports science, especially on the on the dance side, keep an eye out for the name Savrina Goldenberg. <laughs> mm, thanks. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Sav, for uh, volunteering your time today. Uh, and, you know, a lot of, lot of experience and knowledge you offered up today. So really appreciate that. No, you're welcome. Anytime. All right, that's it for us today on Merit Time Health and Performance Chat. We'll see you next time.